Hello, my name is Larry Hiles. I'm the preaching minister at the Milford Church of Christ. Thank you for taking the time to watch or listen to this message. Please feel free to share it with friends. Also, if it's impacted your life in any way, reach out to us and let us know how. If you live in the Centerburg or Mount Vernon area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 3648 Johnstown Road in Centerburg, Ohio. We look forward to the opportunity of meeting you. If you have your Bibles with you, open them up to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. So. We have come to the last message from this great letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And, and I think it's important for us to remember why I believe he wrote this letter. And the reason I believe he wrote this letter is for the follower of Christ to be equipped. And, and from throughout this letter, we've learned that fact, right? That, that God wants to equip us for a relationship with him through grace that comes from Jesus Christ. He redeems us. He adopts us. He puts his Holy Spirit within us. And we're equipped to impact the church by using the gifts that God has given us. We're equipped to worship with one another. That's a key, right? Especially when we look at our world today. That We, we learned in this great lesson or letter that Paul told us that God brought together two groups of people within the church. He brought together the Jews and the Gentiles. And so we learned that aspect. We're equipped to walk as children of light. We're equipped to love and lead our families well in the Lord. And we're equipped to work the way God wants us to work in this world. And see, I believe as we look at this great letter, it all comes to this final point in this final section of scripture that, that we're going to be going through here. Because here's a truth that we must grasp. When we live the way that God has called us to live in the world, what that means is that we're going to be a part of a spiritual war. And the truth of the matter is this, is friends, if we don't find ourselves engaged in a spiritual war, then, then we might need to check where our Christianity is in our hearts and our lives. Because when we live God's way, we are an instant enemy of what's going on and taking place in the world. And make no mistake about it, the church of Jesus Christ has been at war from the very moment that Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave, defeating the power of sin and death. And the church has been left here in the midst of that struggle. And this war, and here's what we've got to grasp, this war has nothing to do with borders. Nothing to do with borders at all. It's being fought on every continent in the world. This war is not fought between human foes, although human foes are used as instruments in this war. Uh, this war is for the soul of the church, the soul of the family, for the soul of each individual person that we come into contact with. And I think and I believe as a follower of Christ that many of us, many of us in the church in the, in today, we need to get our head out of the sand and realize that this war is raging. Uh, let me be, uh, give some proof of this war. We live in a nation, a state, and a world that celebrates the right of a woman to end a pregnancy in her womb. We live in a state, a nation, and a world that continually celebrates sin and denies the teaching of God's word when it comes to marriage and family. We live in a state, a nation, and a world that not only practices sin, but gives approval for people as they practice it and patting people on the back on the way to hell. Friends, we need to wake up. Well, we need to understand what's going on. And here's what we've got to understand and grasp about the front lines of this war. The front lines of this war are going to be felt this week. Many of us, I mean, that are fortunate, we're going to be able to find ourselves seated around dinner tables with family members. And at that dinner table, uh, the fact that, that people can choose what they choose puts us in the middle of the war. Right? We're going to be seated with people who have become trapped by the enemy's ploys. 
The front line is found in the pews and chairs of our churches as we find ourselves dividing over things that we should never divide over. The church is weakened when each of us allow our personal preferences to keep us from worshiping with our brothers and sisters in Christ. The front line of this war is in the heart of every single one of us as we struggle with the battles of temptation and sin that the world keeps throwing into our lives, right? And we know what those battles are. For each of us, it's something different. And each time the world gives us that battle and we give in, what's our enemy do? He's that voice in our ear telling us, see, I told you. I told you you were no good. See, we're at war, and one of the primary problems that we have with this Pollyanna pie-in-the-sky kind of attitude that buries our heads in the sands is that, is that we don't see it. And since we don't see it, we're not fighting it. We're not fighting it. Friends, we need to be a part of the fight. And war is not an analogy that we're typically comfortable with in the American church. We like to hear the, the American dream in our preaching, right? The American dream of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we want everything to be caked in all of those things. And we want our families blessed. We want our souls saved. We want our sins forgiven. We want God's will to line up with our understanding. We want peace and we want safety. And then we're slapped in the face with the reality of our own sin and the reality of sin in the world. And we realize that this war is raging. The Apostle Paul knew what was coming. And in his final effort to equip the saints of the church in Ephesus, he tells them to be dressed and ready for battle. Paul knew that the Christian life is war. See, to remain faithful to the calling that we have in Christ is war. To remain true to the church is war. To remain holy and pure in this world is war. To be a wife or a husband the way God intends for us to be is war. To raise a family in Christ is war. And, and, and we're seeing it around us. Most of us, if we're honest at times, we need to understand that we've closed our eyes to this war. And we need to open it, church. The body of Christ, we need to open our eyes to the spiritual war that's going on around us. And I believe, maybe, just maybe I believe this wrongly, but I believe that many of the reason we have empty chairs in our church and in our churches is that we fail to understand this war. And we've just given up and given over to the enemy. In this section of scripture, Paul will equip the hearer of this letter to, to, to understand that we have a true enemy to remind them of armor that's available for them, and to remind them of the weapons that they have to fight. So let's look at this. We have an enemy. Look at verses 10 through 12. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the might of his strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, uh, against the world, forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And, and the first sentence with this carries a great challenge. And he says, be strong in the Lord and in the might of his strength. You might remember Paul's opening words in his prayer. He, he said this in chapter one. And for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith and the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the full knowledge of him, so that you, the eyes of your hearts, having been enlightened, will know 
what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of the might of his strength, which he worked in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavenly places. He says, listen, friends, is, is that when we've been buried with Christ, when we've been raised with Christ, we can stand in the strength of Christ in the midst of the struggles that we have. Have you ever noticed what we do when we find ourselves in trouble? Many of us, when we find ourselves in trouble, we lean into the very person that got us into that trouble. And you know who that person was? It was you. And so we lean into our own understanding, we trust in ourselves, and we find this vicious circle and this vicious cycle that keeps coming up each time we, we, we fail at something, each time we fail to stand in the strength and in the might of the Lord, and we trust in ourselves. You might remember what the prophet Jeremiah said. He said this, thus says Yahweh, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from Yahweh. And he will be like a juniper in the desert, and he will not see when prosperity comes, but will dwell in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in Yahweh, and whose trust is Yahweh. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends forth its roots by a stream. And will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green. And it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor refrain from yielding fruit. The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can know it? And so here's the thing, friends. When we look around at this war, the first step that we've got to understand, the first thing that we've got to do is we've got to stand in the strength and in the might of the Lord. We've, we've got to stand there. So are you struggling right now? Ask yourself by asking this one question, who am I trusting in? Where am I standing? Am I standing in my own understanding, in my own strength, or am I standing in the strength of the Lord? Look again at verse 11. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Did you notice what Paul didn't say? Paul didn't say in hopes that you'll be able to stand. And that's one of the things that I think we forget in this battle and in this war is that when we stand in the strength and in the might of the Lord, we can stand strong against the schemes of the devil. He doesn't say in hopes, and he says you will be able to stand. When we're not standing in the strength of the Lord and protected by his full armor, then we don't have even hope to stand there. He says you will be able to stand. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. I love the way the ESV translates that verse. The ESV starts it off by saying this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Have you ever been to a high school or college wrestling match? So if you've never been to one, I mean, you like something like that, it'd be fun. Uh, we get a wrestling match every Friday night in our household with our grandsons. It's the, it's the cutest thing in the world when these boys start wrestling. Uh, and, you know, it, it goes from laughing uh, to anger to laughing to anger to laughing to anger. It's, it's great. But CJ wrestled in middle school and, and in high school. And I, I still remember his first scrimmage that we went to. Uh, it was over at Johnstown High School. He had never wrestled a day in his life. And all of a sudden, he comes home, and he says, I have a scrimmage and wrestling here in a couple of days. And April and I look at each other like, what? 
And so we go to this wrestling match, and before too long, CJ's, uh, he's crouched up in this chokehold, and he's looking up at April and I like we can do something to help him. In the meantime, April starts pinching me like I can go down there and do something about it. And so I couldn't do anything about it. I mean, wrestling's intense. And I remember one time that he was wrestling in a tournament. Uh, he had had some practice at this time and, and got to be a little bit decent. And he wrestled the same kid from Newark Catholic when they were in middle school. He wrestled him three times in one tournament, and he won all three times. And they found themselves wrestling for third place uh, in this uh, match. And, and in this particular one, they went all three periods. And, and as soon as this match was over, both CJ and this young man uh, from Newark Catholic, they literally just laid on the mat, exhausted. They couldn't move. Right? See, our, our battle against the forces of evil is often like that. They're relentless, right? And when we're truly fighting that out, we'll find ourselves exhausted and standing uh, in our own strength. We can't make it. But when we stand in the strength of the Lord, we can. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis books is The Screwtape Letters. And it's a fictional book that deals with the correspondence between two demons. And, and listen to what Lewis wrote in the introduction of this book. And we've got to remember this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with that same delight. You see, we have got to grasp this reality that we have an enemy, and that enemy is Satan. And as we read through the pages of Scripture, there are many names that he goes by. The serpent, the follower, the father of lies, the ruler of the world, the evil one, the tempter, the god of this age. And there are many who believe that the devil is a fallen angel, right? They desire to be like God. And, and Scripture may point to that reality in a couple of places. But what we can know for sure and certain is that the devil wants to destroy everything that worships God. See, the devil, he has a, a primary goal, and his primary goal is to get us to question God's word. You, you might remember back in Genesis, flip back sometime this week, and, and those verses will be up on the screen, when, when he came to tempt Eve. Do you remember what he said to Eve? It all started with a simple question. Did God really say? And from there, he was able to get Eve to answer a question, right? Did God really say that you couldn't eat of any tree that's in the garden? And, and she answered, and I won't be word for word with what's up on the screen. She answered that question. Well, you know, God said that we couldn't eat of it or we couldn't touch it. And once she said we couldn't touch it, Satan knew that he had Eve at that moment. He said, well, well God, you, you can touch it. God, God doesn't want you to eat of it because he knows that when you eat of it, you'll become like him. You'll not surely die. And so Eve, she saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eye and desirable to gain wisdom. She reached out and grabbed the fruit, and it all started with that one question, did God really say? Friends, if you find yourself questioning God's word, when God's word is so clear on so many areas, that should be an alarm that goes off in your head. An alarm that goes off in your head that causes you to realize, hey, something's wrong with me right now, not with God's word. And here's another thing I want you to understand and grasp. If you ever find yourself seated in a, in a church or seated in a Sunday school class or at some small group in somebody's house or some Bible study at a church and whoever's leading that says something like this, well, I don't know if I agreed with God's word here. That's your cue at that moment to get up and leave. Because the moment we begin questioning God's word is the moment Satan begins to use us in his plan. Right? His desire is to destroy you. 
or to destroy us. 1 Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Right? He's got a goal. He, he, he doesn't care about us. He wants to destroy us. He has helpers. And those helpers are the spiritual forces of evil. They're demonic in nature. Friends, we must be careful. And here's uh, something that I live by even before I became a Christian. And so this is where I, you might have heard the, the term in your life, prevenient grace, right? That, that grace that, that God gives you before you become a follower of Christ. Uh, I, I don't know about that. that. That might be somewhat on the Calvinistic side of a doctrinal truth. But, but here's what I do know. I know from a very young age, I had a heightened sense to things that were demonic and to stay away from them. I stayed away from them even before I was a follower of Christ. I, I remember being at a friend's house and they pulled out this Ouija board thing and they said, do you want to do it? I'm like, nope, not me. I don't, want I don't even know what it is, but I don't want to have anything to do with it. Right? And, and here's the truth about this reality. What we invite into our lives opens up a doorway into our hearts and minds. And once our hearts and minds are opened up, we can be uh, channels or instruments that, that demonic influence can get into our life. And so the things that we watch, that's what I don't understand. I don't even like watching previews to some of these scary movies they have on, they put out on TV. The previews come on, I don't want to watch that. I don't want to give, it, I don't want to give the devil even a foothold to get some of those things into my life. You see, the devil has helpers. And those helpers are the spiritual forces of evil in this world. Entertainment may seem harmless, but when we continue to invite those things into our lives, man, we give a foothold to demonic influence. Things like pornography, right? Things like horror movies, right? We, we might think that these things could be harmless, but that's the spiritual forces of evil that can creep in. His power is limited. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He's not present everywhere. As a matter of fact, while reading through the book of Job, I was reminded of that great fact. He even needs permission from God. I mean, if Job is true, I know it's an allegory, but even in the allegory, might, might, I mean, it might not be an allegory. Some people say, even if it is an allegory, I meant to say, it points to this reality that Satan has to go to God to get to us. And shouldn't that give us some comfort? We know from God's word, it says this, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as common to man. But, is, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also, that you will be able to what? Endure it. Right? His power is limited. And here's the greatest truth about this reality. He has been defeated. He's been defeated. Right? And so when we're, when we're attacked by these spiritual forces of evil, when Satan's seeking to devour us and take us away, when temptation keeps showing up, we can just look, that, look at that in the eye or whatever it is, and we can even say out loud, Satan, you have been defeated. You've been defeated. All the way back in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve failed, that defeat was promised. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman God said to the serpent, Satan, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So, so we have an enemy, friends, and we need to know that enemy. And if you don't know the enemy and his tactics, man, you're right there in a position to allow him to creep in. Creep in. So be on guard. We have an armor available. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist the 
in the evil day. And having done everything, stand firm. It, It was 33 years ago, or over 33 years ago now, that I got onto an airplane at Port Columbus, and I headed to Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And uh, so there were some nice people to meet us there at the airport, dressed in military uniforms, even offered us a drink. Very kind people, right? They pointed us to a bus. And I don't know what happened between the airport and the bus, but those nice people weren't on the bus. So the guy that was on the bus started hollering at me, and I didn't like it very much. Uh, And so then that guy on the bus took me to Fort Jackson, South Carolina. In the first few weeks of Fort Jackson, South Carolina, what they did to you there was they beat the civilian out of you, metaphorically, of course, and put you in a position to be equipped to become a soldier in the United States Army. And one of the things that they do is they, they get you into that position to help you understand the protective and the offensive weapons that you have for you. Paul's wanting the hearer of this letter to be equipped in that same manner. And he points them to back to the nature of war that we're fighting, right? This fight, uh, while having elements in the physical world, is a spiritual one. And so he tells us to take up the full armor of God. We, we could spend an entire series on each one of these points of armor. So, so let's look at them here. So the first one says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The first thing there, stand firm. This is the picture that we got to get in our mind. Right? As he's talking about this battle, Paul is telling the follower of Christ, the first thing you need to do is you need to stand up and you need to stand firm in who you are as a follower of Christ. And then having done everything to stand, this is what he's telling us from that standpoint, right? Jesus, we got to understand Jesus has won the war. And because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, God has placed him, what the Bible tells us in Ephesians, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Friends, think about that truth for a moment. Think about that truth for a moment when it comes to fighting the spiritual wars that we have. We are told in God's word in this very book that we've studied now for 15 weeks, we, we are told in this book that God has put Jesus Christ far above everything. And then when we stand in him, we can stand firm no matter what. Because of Jesus, we have won the war. Philippians chapter two says, therefore God has, God also highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth that, if, and every, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let those truths sink in for a moment. And then he says, after standing firm, having girded your loins with truth. Some versions talk about the belt of truth that you pull around. And and belt's a little bit of a weak word here. I I like what the Legacy Standard Bible does here. It says, girded your loins with with truth. A a girdle is much more than a belt, right? And and what we got a picture is that this girdle that he's speaking about here, it held weapons, it kept the breastplate in righteousness, it made possible to maneuver. If the girdle is lost, then everything is lost. And and if you've ever played football in school, in high school at least, by the time you get to college and beyond that, one of the first pieces of equipment you get is that girdle. They hang you this girdle and you're like, what do you mean I got to wear a girdle? 
My God, when it's women wear girdles, football players don't wear girdles. Uh, and so and in that girdle, you put your hip pads and your, and your, uh, your butt pad, they called it. You know, and you have to have that on. So we've got to get this picture that what he's saying here is this, this is the girdle, the belt of what? Of truth. Here's what he's saying here. Truth is what holds everything together. Yeah, the truth of God's word holds everything together. The truth of who God is holds everything together. Didn't Jesus himself even say, I'm the way, the what? The truth and the life? Right, truth holds all things together. And here's what we've got to grasp. God's word, his goodness, and his judgment are all shown to us in, his, in, his, in, the, in the word. And he's still at work today in our lives, getting us to listen to our... Uh, getting us to listen uh, and, and see uh, things that are there, you know, getting us to, to uh, submit into his word. Friends, if we've placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this great letter reminds us that we're promised with the promised Holy Spirit, the seal that's the deposit, the guarantee of the hope that comes. We have this truth within us. So how does truth help us to stand? Especially when we fail. Because we've all failed, right? And when we do fail, what does the enemy come in and do? Right? And we've all got to struggle, right? We all have something we struggle with, and it's, a, it's an it, right? Whatever that it is, drugs, alcohol, sex, money, stuff, food, recognition. And then when we give into it, the first voice we hear in our heads is, I told you you weren't saved. I told you you were a loser. But what does the truth of God's word tell us? Right? The truth of God word, God's word says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The truth of God's word says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, friends, truth holds all things together. And it starts not when we're successful only. It's even there when we fail. God's word tells us to lean in and accept these truths. And when we have that, it holds all things together. The second piece is having the breastplate of righteousness. And so for the soldier during this era, a breastplate was a metal shield worn like a shirt over their breast area to protect the chest. And in the first century Roman breastplate, it consisted of three parts. The main horizontal metal strips joined at the back with hinges at the front with a leather ties or buckles which covered the midriff and a set of metal plates, uh, again, hinged at the back and buckled in the front, which covered the upper chest and the back areas, all the vital organs there. And there's some debate as to what Paul says here about the breastplate of righteousness. What does that mean? Some believe that Paul's talking about our right actions and our right living and our right beliefs, and you can make an argument for that. But, but I believe what Paul is doing here is he's putting our righteousness from Christ as the primary protection that we lean into. The Bible declares, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The Bible declares about Abraham these words in the book of Romans. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And in the book of Romans it says this, now, not for his sake only was it written that it was counted to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be counted as those who believe upon him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Who is, 
He was delivered over on account of our transgressions and was raised on account of our justification. You see, friends, when we stand before the judgment seat of God, we're not going to be relying upon our own right actions, right living, or even right beliefs. You know what we're going to be relying upon? The righteousness of Christ. And so Paul's declaring in this, in this idea that when we're in this battle, this spiritual war that's raging, then we need to lean into the righteousness of Christ for our primary hope and protection. He says also a readiness that comes from the gospel. Look at verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, one of the primary pieces of equipment for the soldier is the shoe, or should I say the boot in our day. Did you know one of the primary elements that soldiers during the Korean War, what they suffered from the most, American soldiers, their feet. They had inadequate uh, foot, um, boots and socks when they first got to Korea, and their feet were, were keeping them from being able to fight the war. So many of the soldiers there uh, uh, spent time in the infirmary, even losing toes and parts of their feet because of gangrene and everything else that said, and this was an important part of the battle for them. In Paul's day, it was a, a sandal that was bound together, and, and, and believe it or not, they, they actually, at times in different places, would put uh, spikes coming out of the bottom of those sandals to give them uh, gripping on the sand that they would be on. And he's picturing a soldier here standing firm in defense. He's not picturing a soldier going on the attack. And that's one of the things I got to, that really blew my mind as I was studying this, because he said, stand firm. And then he points to the gospel as one of the reasons why we should be able to stand firm. He, he's not giving us, a, 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 in this verse, a message to be declared, but one to be received and to rely upon. Look again in Ephesians chapter 2. And that great reminder, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom you also formerly conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, it goes on to say he made us alive together with Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the gospel, standing in the truth of the gospel, that God has saved us through faith in Jesus Christ. He sealed us with the promised Holy Spirit. That gives us a readiness to take on all things. He says, take up the shield of faith. Look at verse 16. In addition to all, having taken up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Uh, the shield for the soldier of this era would have been a piece of wood covered with a thick or hard leather. They were designed so that they could be interlocked with shields to form a wall of protection. And the shield was large enough to hide behind and easy enough to maneuver with. And I believe that this is strongly tied to uh, the girdle of truth, to gird your loins with truth. And as Satan begins his assaults on our lives, we have the truth of God's word and the promises of this shield of faith that will protect us from everything. And protect us from what? Those flaming arrows. Those flaming arrows of the evil one. The lies that he tells. The temptations that he lays at our feet. The anger that creeps into our hearts. The doubt that he fosters in our minds about the goodness of God. We can go back to those truths and we can stand behind that shield of faith 
He also says, receive the helmet of salvation. Look at verse 17. Also, receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Helmets were made of a tough iron or bronze with cheek guards uh, and were lined with a a sponge that made the weight bearable. Uh, Nothing could penetrate these helmets. And, And the helmet of salvation is this. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God has promised us that he'll raise us up on the last day. John chapter 6, verse 40. And God has promised that, that we'll never perish ever, that no one will ever be able to snatch us out of, our, out of his hands. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29. And when we understand that reality, there's nothing that can shake our faith. So, and then he gives us the weapon, right? The sword of the Spirit. Look at the second part of verse 17. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword is both offensive and defensive. Though The Word of God is the same. We can use the Word of God to defend our faith. And Jesus gives us an excellent example. When, when tempted by Satan, what did he do? He leaned in. He leaned into God's Word. For it is written, for it is written, for it is written. Right? Uh, but I believe the same is true for us today, that we can also use the Word of God as an offensive weapon. Right? The Spirit works through God's Word. And so when you understand this and grasp this reality that we can go on the offensive against Satan when he attacks with God's Word, it puts us in a better position to be able to fight these wars. Right? Uh, look at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Verses 16 and 17. This is what he declares, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God uh, is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous will live by faith. We also know from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and the great commission that we've been given, uh, that Jesus Christ will be with us to the very end of the age, and therefore we're to go and we're to make disciples of all nations. Friends, the sword of the Spirit is the truth of God's Word, and we can stand in these realities. And and Paul closes with one more weapon. It's not even really mentioned as a weapon here. He closes with the idea of prayer. Right? He says we're to pray at all times and to pray in the Spirit. Spirit, The Spirit makes groans for us, uh, for our souls and intercedes for us. Romans 8, 26 through 27. We're to to pray alert. We're to pray for each other. We're to pray in boldness. And and so there's a lot to take in to close up this series from this message. But but here's the one thing that I hope that we grasp this morning and the reality that we can walk away from is, is we do have an enemy. And that enemy is Satan. And we don't have to work too hard to see what he's trying to do to attack the individual, to attack the family, and to attack the church. He is that roaring lion that's seeking to devour. But more importantly, friends, we have an armor that each of us can put on. And if we walk in that armor daily, we are told and we're promised from God's word that we can not only stand, but we can stand firm. Satan's been defeated. And I think it's time that we as the body of Christ, as a follower of Christ, begin to live in that truth and reality. I believe it's time for us to stop living in the defeats of this world and start standing and living in the victories that we've been promised from God's word. Right? Yes, this world has trouble, but what did Jesus say? Take heart. 
have overcome the world. And not only that, we've got another great promise that as we stand in the strength of the Lord, as we put on his armor, as we're willing to fight the battles that we might, that we might have to, and we are fighting right now, that even if our lives are to be lost in the midst of that battle, he will raise us up on the last day. And we have this great and glorious hope that we can stand in, that when all things are done, when everything is said and done and all is over, listen to what God's word declares. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, And there will be no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things passed away. So yes, we're at war. But Jesus has not only won that war that we're fighting, he's also given us a hope that can never be taken away from us in him. So friends, it's time for us to walk out of this room in this building, understanding that the battles we fight have already been won that he's given us everything that we need to stand firm. And it's just our responsibility daily to put on what he's called for us to put on. So how will we respond? How will you respond? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the word you give us and thank you for the challenge that we have. We understand the realities of God of the, of the world around us and the war that's raging. Lord, all too often we understand the war that's raging within our very own souls and we fail to trust in you, and we trust in ourselves. We fail to lean into your truth. We fail to, uh, to stand in the righteousness of Christ. We fail to take up that shield of faith. Lord, we, we fail to lean into the salvation that you've promised us through Christ. Lord, we, we fail to fight with the sword of your spirit. And more importantly, God, we, we fail to pray. So help us in the midst of these battles that we face to lean into those things. And as we do, we lean into the promises of your word. That you will raise us up. That you are with us to the end of the age. That nothing can separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. That help us to walk in those truths. And to walk in your victory. We pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen. I'm not sure if you've come into the room this morning and you've not yet given your life to Christ. We're going to uh, sing a song, of, uh, a song of invitation. And if you want to talk about that, I'd love to meet you down in front. Or, or if there's anything you want to pray about, I can meet you and pray down here. Whatever it may be, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit will, will, will bring about that point of conviction in your soul. Let's stand and sing together.